Praise the Lord. Hey, take your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Exodus today. Uh, we're going to continue in our series on the tabernacle. Uh, the series uh, title uh, is the tabernacle or subtitle that I may dwell among them comes from Exodus chapter 25 uh, verse 8. Also 1 John chapter 1 verse 3. Exodus 25 8 says let them build me a, uh, a tent or a dwelling place that I may dwell with them there. And then 1 John 1 3 and truly our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And so we know that the tabernacle uh, is a type of that projects forward into the time to the perfect Son of God who embodies the tabernacle. And so the tabernacle is a type of Christ. Um, So as we go through our series today, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 26. Uh, We're going to be uh, specifically looking at verse 31 about the veil, but uh, we're going to go through uh, verse 33 Uh, which talks about the veil. And we'll even then notice the relationship to the other pieces of furniture that are outside the veil. Now, if you're looking at that picture up there, um, the one on the far left-hand side that has the reference over the top of it, that would be a depiction of Solomon's temple. Um, That curtain is completely different than the curtain that we're going to be reading today. It was much larger in Solomon's day or even in King Herod's day. Uh, The one in the middle is an artistic rendering of what the colors may have looked like on the veil of the tabernacle. And of course, the one that's in black and white uh, shows the relationship of the um, altar of incense to the veil uh, and what is outside of the holiest of all places. Uh, You have the table of showbread and the candlestick. All right, Exodus chapter 26, uh, let's look here at uh, verse 31. And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen of cunning work. With cherubims shall it be made. And thou shalt hang it upon four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. And thou shalt hang up the veil under the tashes, that thou mayest bring in hither within the veil the ark of the testimony, and the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place, and thou shalt set the table without the veil, and the candlestick over against the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and thou shalt put the table on, I'm sorry, and the table on the north side. All right, so today let's learn about the veil and how the veil, even though uh, it is described, is not typically thought of as a piece of furniture within the tabernacle building, but the author of Hebrews uh, definitely tells us that the veil is a picture of Christ. Now, you probably aren't going to be able to read uh, these verses, so um, I'll just read some of them to you. Um, Here's John 1.14, so if you want to turn there, that's John 1.14. Now, this is my woeful attempt at translation work. I used a couple of different 
translations to kind of paraphrase and put John 1.14, because I want you to see the significance of John 1.14. Um, and the Word became flesh and did tabernacle among us, and we beheld His glory, Shekinah, the Shekinah glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so the word dwell literally means to tabernacle. So the Lord Jesus Christ tabernacled with us. And we beheld his glory, the Shekinah glory. And in Exodus chapter 40, after the tabernacle is finished, then God is pleased to live in the tabernacle. He takes up his residence, and this is the place of meeting. So another name for the tabernacle is the tent of meeting. This is where God meets with his people Israel. And of course, it being a uh, type of Christ, then in Christ we meet God. And that's where we can meet God. All right, the next verse is 1 Corinthians 6, 19. The apostle argues with the Corinthian believers that they should grow in holiness because their body is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And of course we know that the tabernacle was made according to the pattern that God showed Moses uh, after a tabernacle in the heavenlies. And this is Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. Uh, Who serve unto the example and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses For see, saith he, that thou make it according to pattern. All right, here's the big idea. Can you read that lettering? All right. So today we want you to walk away from church seeing God's initiating love and his desire to fellowship with you through the study of the veil, all right? So I chose that preposition not through but in on purpose because it's in Christ uh, where we have our opportunity to meet God. All right, so very quickly then, uh, here are some things. The veil shows us our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, through its materials. Now, in Exodus chapter 26, uh, you see that it was made of fine linen uh, that was dyed blue and purple and scarlet. Um, And then it was made of cunning work, and it also had cherubims made into it, uh, most likely gold, all right? And then it was uh, hanging from four uh, pillars overlaid, uh, they're made of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Uh, though those pillars are set in sockets of silver at the end of verse 32. Now, when it says made of cunning work here in verse 31, um, I would like for you to go over to Exodus 31, chapter 31. God gave special skill to two craftsmen to make the tabernacle furniture. And in Exodus chapter 31, uh, we read verses 2 through 6 about God anointing these craftsmen with the Holy Spirit. Exodus 31, 
um, verses 2 through 6. See, I have called by name uh, Beaziel, uh, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship, to devise cunning works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass, and in the cutting of stones, to set them, and in the carving of timber, to work in all manner of workmanship. And also he mentions the other man in verse 6 that he has given them. Now, we kind of use uh, a phrase loosely when we see a great artistic work. We will say something like this, wow, that's just inspiring. Or maybe a a special piece of music, Uh, someone says, well, I was just inspired to do that. All right. Well, we know that what they mean by that is not the same as what God has done to the workmen uh, here in Exodus chapter 31. Uh, They were not filled with the Holy Spirit to paint their picture. They were not filled with the Holy Spirit to write their song. But this craftsman was filled with the Holy Spirit to make the tabernacle. And so he did not have just natural ability. He had supernatural ability to design the tabernacle and all the pieces of the furniture. He is uh, specifically uh, named as the one who designed the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, When you stop and you think about the mercy seat, it's one piece of gold. And it had angels with wings facing on it. And it had a crown around it. And it was one piece How do you cut the gold in such a way that you don't break it off? And how do you hammer and fashion it that way? Well, that was through the inspiration, the filling of the Holy Spirit of God to create such an artistic work. And so the veil uh, that separates the holiest place from the holy place was also woven through the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. It would have been absolutely beautiful. And so all of the pictures that we put up, in some way, they fail. Uh, An artistic rendering cannot do justice to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so it would have been absolutely beautiful. Um, And so the veil then was to be a veil of separation. Uh, Let's look here in Exodus chapter 26 where we started out. And if you would go back to the verses with me. And if we uh, look here at uh, verses 33, 34, and 35, we see that the Ark of the Testimony then was behind the veil after it was hung in place and that it was a place of separation, all right? Uh, So verse 35, and thou shalt set the table without the veil and the candlestick over against the table and uh, and so forth. So what is inside the room is divided in verse 33 uh, shall be a division. The veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. And so it is a veil of separation. 
Now, it also has cherubim on it. Does anybody know why the reference to Genesis chapter 3, verse 4 would be on your screen right now? Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. Yes, thank you. Even with glasses, you got that one. All right, remember when Adam and Eve sinned, God removed them from the garden, and he set the cherubim with a flaming sword to guard the Garden of Eden so that they could not go back in. They were separated from God. They were removed from his presence. They were removed from the tree of life. And to protect the holiness, God sent his cherubim with flaming swords uh, to block the way back into the garden. And so if you were a priest and you're standing in the holy place and you're looking at the curtain and you're meditating upon the symbol, the symbolism that is there, you see the cherubim. And you know the instruction that only one time a year can one man go behind the veil, and that's the high priest. Well, those angels on that veil are a stunning reminder that you're separated from God. So while the veil is in place, it is a veil of separation. God is holy, we're not. Behind the veil was the presence of God. Uh, where we read in Exodus chapter 40 that he dwelt between the cherubim on the mercy seat. And so I guess if you're thinking artistically, you're probably trying to get some type of oscillating energy ball uh, between the angelic uh, cherubim, their wings. But God dwelt there. And God is high and lifted up and separate. Uh, Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6 When he saw the holiness of God, he fell down as dead. And he knew that God saw to his very core of his being. So it is a veil of separation. Um, And then, of course, you have uh, some other verses in there. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 2. Let's go over there. So you only have to go one book. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus chapter 16. So Aaron is the first high priest, and God gives Moses something to tell him. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he what? That he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. So it is a a place of holiness, and the veil separates us from God, and that's the symbolism that's there. What we learn from this is that God is holy. That's what makes him God. He's unique in that regard because there's not a human being that has ever existed that is holy. So God is holy, and so it is a veil of separation. But as we will see... It is also a veil of unification in what is the veil. So this is where I would like for you uh, to go over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Now put a ribbon 
in Exodus chapter uh, 26, as we're going to come back to that. But in Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to read about the veil and how the veil is just a type of Christ. How Christ is the fulfillment. He heightens the meaning of the symbolism here. All right, in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, uh, we'll pick it up here in verses 19 and 20. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. All right. So, the Old Testament priest was given a very solemn and sobering warning. You tell Aaron, stay away, enter not, lest he die. I'm holy. You can only come in here one time a year with blood on your hands to make atonement for your own sins and for the sins of the nation. Do not come. It's not a casual place. It's a place that's separate. Now we come to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, and we're being told as believers that we can come boldly into the presence of God in the holiest of places. What changed? Did God's holiness change? Absolutely not. Did our sinfulness change? Did our need change? Absolutely not. What changed was that Jesus Christ offered his body to be torn on the cross and it became a veil of unification for you and me to be reconciled with a holy God and that we have an opportunity to have fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. The veil of his flesh. It is a veil of unification. And so we see uh, in Leviticus chapter 16, if you will go back there, uh, the passage is Leviticus 16 verses 11 through 21. I will not take time to read that passage, but if you want to sit there and read it while I'm talking, feel free. But that passage describes how the high priest could pass beyond the veil. He had to be outside at the brazen altar and give a sacrifice, stop at the brazen wash basin and wash himself, go in and minister in the holy place and stop at the altar of incense and pray, and then have a little basin of blood with him, and then he could go behind the veil, pass through the veil one time a year, but not without blood. He had to go in and have a little basin of blood and then dip his hands and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat. And he would apply the blood to the Ark of the Covenant upon the mercy seat, which is propitiation, uh, to make atonement, a covering. Of course, Christ didn't only uh, make propitiation, he also forgave us our sins. He remitted our sins. And so Christ is far superior. And we'll see in a few moments how Christ fulfills 
the role of the high priest going into the holy place for us. But as a, a, a veil now that is torn becomes a veil of union. Uh, let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.19. 2 Corinthians 5.19. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, bringing sinful people to his standard of holiness. How is that possible? Well, through the work and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ met the Father's standard. And when we put our faith and trust in Him, we don't have righteousness of our own. We have the righteousness of Christ put on our record. That's called imputed righteousness. That's the technical term for it. It's imputed to your account that you are counted righteous in God's sight through faith in Jesus Christ. So it becomes a veil of unification. All right, so this is through uh, its meaning, all right, through its materials and through its meaning. Now let's go to our next point here. The veil shows us our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, through its rending, through its rending. Now let's go over to Matthew chapter 27. And let's look at verse 51, Matthew 27, 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. All right, now we know that this is not the veil of the tabernacle, but the veil of the temple. But who dwelled behind the veil. God. The physical veil may have changed through the centuries, but the God who dwelt behind it did not change. All right? You may bring new pieces of furniture into a new home that's new to you, or maybe it's even a brand new build, but you didn't change. All right? Just the furniture around you changed. Well, just the curtain changed in Herod's temple uh, because it was on a much grander scale than what the tabernacle was. The tabernacle was a portable tent. Uh, Herod's temple took 46 years to build. It was firmly established, right? Now, some estimate that the veil of the tabernacle may have been as thick as a hand, and then they say from the writings of historians like Josephus that the veil of Herod, Herod's temple may have been 12 inches thick. 
All right. So have you ever tested your hand strength? Have you ever taken a stack of papers to see how thick a stack of paper you could rip? All right. Usually you can't get through two envelopes of junk mail, right, that came in your mailbox. You put two of them together, and that little plastic window seems to get in the way every time, right? And so we just don't have the strength to even rip through a couple of envelopes or a a thin stack of papers. Can you imagine what the priest, during the time of Christ, at the moment that he died, there was an earthquake, and the veil of the temple in your very presence rips Now remember, this is a foot in thickness. Rips from the top to the bottom completely in two pieces. And now you're gazing into the holiest place. What fear and trepidation must come upon those priests? How do you remedy such a thing? Well, figuratively speaking, I guess man makes his best attempts to approach God. But you see, Christ opened that place through his death on the cross, both literally and typically, so that we can have fellowship with our Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. And so that's why I say the veil shows us our fellowship is with the Father uh, and His Son through the rending of the veil. Now, um, if you go back to Exodus chapter 26, you'll notice that it was supported by four pillars and golden rings. Now, these golden pillars we read were made of acacia wood, and they were overlaid with gold, and they were set in sockets of silver. All right? Uh, What is the symbolism that is there. Well, as I was telling you as we begin the series, that in Hebrews, the author calls them a shadow of things to come. And we know that by observing our own shadow, the sun is shining today, and your car in the parking lot is really not as long as a semi-trailer, right? Uh, You're really not 22 feet tall. So we know that shadows exaggerate. So if we try to go into too much detail, we'll end up in that little chart that I gave you uh, last week in the column called allegorizing, put our own thoughts and opinions and interpretations in there. But there is something in the middle, which is a resemblance or a likeness to something, but not necessarily a full type. So last week, we tried to explain to you on the Ark of the Covenant that it too was made of acacia wood overlaid in gold, and that wood was representative of the humanity of Jesus Christ, uh, the servant that comes out, that root that comes out of a dry ground. Then we looked at how gold is uh, symbolic, or there's a resemblance Uh, in its connection to deity, how the wise men came and presented gifts of gold to Jesus and so forth. But Peter has an interesting take on this. Let's go over now to 1 Peter. So once again, you're just flipping back and forth today. 1 Peter chapter 1, 
verse 18. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as what? Silver and gold. But with the precious blood of a lamb, um, without blemish and without spot, the precious blood of Christ. Now, gold and silver were many times the offerings, along with an animal, to redeem a life, to redeem, say, your firstborn. Your firstborn was to be redeemed. That means you go to God and you offer him an offering of gold and silver to redeem your firstborn child. Or maybe there's certain sin that you've committed that you can give a gold or a silver offering to God. But it's interesting that gold and silver are associated with forgiveness and redemption here in 1 Peter 1.18. It's interesting that the golden pillars are set in sockets of silver. And so it's, I think, a really good type of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Uh, we also know something very interesting about pillars is that they were uniquely crafted. Now, when you go to uh, San, San Benito Courthouse, our courthouse is more of a modern design, and we really don't have pillars per se, all right? Um, but if you were to go to Sacramento and you were to look at the, court, uh, at the state capitol building, you would see that at the top of the, of the pillar, there's ornamentation that, that caps off that pillar and kind of gives a sense of a definite end to the pillar and the building is sitting on the pillar. And um, I forget what the technical name for that is, but um, it's, it's finished with ornamentation. I know the Greeks had certain styles uh, and we copy those uh, into our architecture. The Romans had certain styles. But what is interesting about these is they were just like a telephone pole set in a post. There was no ornamentation at the top. One commentator put it this way. It reminded him of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 8, that he was cut off out of the land of the living for our transgressions. And so we see the, the golden pillars here uh, showing us that the veil was hanging from these pillars just as Christ was hanging from the cross. He told us this in John chapter 3, verse 14. So there are, as you see here, um, seven resemblances um, to this here, all right? So the second point there uh, says it was rent from the top to the bottom at Christ's crucifixion, Matthew 27, 51. The shadow of the veil becomes substance in Christ's flesh. And so all of the tabernacle and how it was just a, a shadow of good things to come. Well, the shadow was not reality. The good things that were to come, that was reality. Christ came. He fulfilled all of the typology that's in the tabernacle. 
And so I see seven resemblances. Now these come from A.W. Pink's book uh, by Moody Press on seven resemblances between the veil and Christ. The veil was torn while hanging. Christ was lifted up upon the cross, John 3.14. Jesus told Nicodemus, as the serpent was lifted up uh, in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The veil was torn in two from the top by the Father's hand. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 8 through 10, it pleased the Father to bruise his son, to put him to grief. I'll just be honest with you. When I read that this week, I just put the book down. I stopped. I felt like I had just entered in at that very moment into a very holy understanding in my life. That this holy and righteous God would have fellowship with me. So I just took a few moments to praise him, to thank him, to worship him. I'm a great sinner, folks. The Apostle Paul said he was the chiefest of sinners. And this holy God overlooked the idolatry of his people worshiping a golden calf in Exodus 20. Moses interceded for their sins, said, God, if you won't go with us, then please don't make us go. Because we can't go to the promised land without you. God listened to Moses, forgave the people's sin, and showed the token of that forgiveness by letting the Shekinah glory of God fill the holiest place to go and to take up its residence in the mercy seat between the cherubim. And so Jesus Christ has interceded for you and me. He's taken his own blood behind the heavenly veil and applied it so that any sinner, whosoever will, may come. He's a propitiation not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And what keeps the greatest sinner from having that fellowship with the Father is the rejection of his son. You see, that's why Jesus Christ said he's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Will you have life today by believing in his son? The veil, number four, was torn in the middle, so the ark was seen. The Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 26 and verse 26 when he's talking to King Agrippa, he said, I know that you know all of these things for this was not done in a corner. The gospel is not to be hidden, folks. I don't care if we had won a thousand people to the Lord in a year. 
that would be no excuse, success is no excuse to hide the gospel the next day or the next year. We have a moral responsibility to proclaim openly an open gospel. Jesus Christ was portrayed to the Corinthian believers as crucified, buried, risen, and coming again. Christianity is not to be a secret. Repentance and faith in Jesus Christ is a message that is to be proclaimed boldly. And so God made it a spectacle, and it lived on in inspired scripture what happened that day, so that we could remember that the way to God is opened. We have an open gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, the veil was torn the moment Christ died, number five, showing us that Jesus passed beyond the veil, the heavenly veil, to present his blood on the mercy seat on our behalf. Number six, the moment Christ died, The veil went from being a barrier to a gateway. Now we have boldness to go into the holiest of all. By the blood of who? Jesus. Don't dare tell me that you can approach God in the name of some other God. There is no other God. And the only way to approach God is through the blood of Jesus. Number seven. As the earthly high priest passed through the veil to make atonement, so too Christ received the wages of our sin, which were due to us, so that we can share the reward which was due to him. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 10 for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What is that sprinkling? What is that washing that's being referred to there? Talking about the laver that the priest washed himself in before he came to sprinkle blood upon the mercy seat. Do you see the typology there? We won't have to struggle to find that one when we get there either, will we? We're not making this stuff up. The scripture clearly states that these are types. And so what is the reward? Well, our conscience is set free. We have this wonderful opportunity to have this relationship with the Father and with His Son. All right, so we went to sleep back there. All right, we're going to go to the next one. There we go, the the big idea. What do we want you walking away from here today comprehending? We want you to see God's initiating love and his desire to fellowship with you through the veil, that is to say, the veil of his son's flesh. Can I make an appeal to you to be reconciled to God today in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? He offered his body to be torn like a veil for you. So, you can receive God's initiating love and you can begin a life with him by responding in repentance and faith 
Turn away from whatever you have been trusting in. Any other religion, any other God? Yourself? Turn to Christ alone. Put your faith in him. So repentance towards God, faith in Christ. And when you do that, the good news is, just as when the tabernacle was finished, God indwelt it, at the moment that you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, God the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. And you're filled with his glory. You're given his righteousness. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. That way has been made.